Well, good morning, church. How you doing today? Man, today has been a great day. I have seen a lot of new faces that I don't recognize. Last service, this service had some people who came in today and said, hey, we have been watching online for a while, and it was just time for us to join you all in person, and I love that. So for those of you online, man, you are welcome in here at any time. But we know some of you online... You need to be there, health reasons, other stuff. I think we got some people joining us today from a deer stand or a deer blind summer, man. It is that time of year. So stay warm, good luck, <laughs> and share some of the, the jerky. That's all I'm going to say. Um, hey, it, it has been a season, y'all. We have all gotten way too familiar with wearing masks for too long now. And in light of that, I just wanted to do a little shout out to some of the more creative and interesting masks we've seen during this pandemic. So we're going to jump in. This one, starting off, a little throwback to the movie Alien. And this is a homemade mask. This guy created this at home. Oh, listen, if... I couldn't sleep at night with that. That would just terrify me. That's nuts. Um, we can we go on to the next guy and uh, the right kind of thing. Um, wrong virus, wrong solution, but honorable mention. It's great. And then you got the DIY guy. This guy's kind of near and dear to my heart. I'm a DIY guy. You know, if it works for your car, then it'll work for, you know, whatever. Uh, then in honor of No Shave November, listen to all you guys growing out the beard. You ain't going to be as cute as this little girl, Ed. How great is that? And then you got this guy. This guy who had the mask that looked like his mask was down. It was a great practical joke until he got so annoyed by everybody telling him, pull up your mask, pull up your mask, pull up your mask. And they were like turning in complaints at his work and stuff. But you can see he actually did have a mask on. It just looked like it is. That's great. I love that guy's spirit. And then you got this. Wait, that's me. Um, Yeah, so just the unhappy Amazon because during the pandemic, a few too many things ordered. And then, because we're almost in that holiday season, the Kevin McAllister, right? So just a little throwback to that. What fun. Hey, those are fun ways, lighthearted ways for us to make the most of a bad situation. But I know a lot of us, I mean, we were so eager to get the mask off. Some of you still waiting to take the mask off, health concerns and such. Uh, but I remember the first time I walked into a business early on in the pandemic when we could take the mask off and I walked in and I didn't have to have a mask on and it just, I mean, I felt like a little kid going into a candy store. It was just so exciting to get that mask off and it feels good when things start to get back to a little bit of normal or what normal we feel should be, right? Like yesterday, a lot of our students gathered and they went out and served in our community. They were raking leaves for widows and widowers and shut-ins. There was one gal who told me that at one point her she just saw all these cars pull up and it just like flooded the neighborhood. All these cars, these kids jump out and they raked her her lawn and they were done in like 15 minutes and she was just trying to hold back the emotion of how sweet that was, how kind that was. Her neighbors were noticing like, wow, and the cleanest and the fastest crew you'd ever see. So shout out to our kids, man. Love seeing that stuff happen with our students. But it's just good to see things return and to see goodness happening. But if we're honest... If we're honest, it doesn't always feel good. If we're honest, man, we're waiting to get off the COVID mask, but I think we're all pretty desperate to take off some other masks as well. We've been masking our pain and masking our hurt for so, so long. 
And we just don't know how to pull that mask off. We just don't know how to pull off the facade. And we're a little scared to pull off the facade because we're not sure what will happen. We're not sure how that will be received. And it's just challenging. You know, it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is like really, really hard. And there's pain that comes. And that's not a complaint. That's not to say there's not joy. There's, there's tremendous joy to be found. And sometimes we confuse this saying like, like joy and pain can't coexist. Listen, y'all, pain in life is inevitable. If you're human, you're going to have pain. Misery is the optional portion. You don't have to choose misery. And you can find joy even during those seasons of sorrow. But, but it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes it's hard. And, and sometimes there's just suffering and sorrow mingled in with the joy and mingled into the goodness. We all walk with a spiritual limp. We, we all have faced challenges and pain in our life. And, and you need to know it's okay to acknowledge the pain. You need to know, to know it's okay to say that sometimes there's sorrow, sometimes there's hurt, sometimes confusion and doubt and frustration and anger. And, and in fact, it's not just okay, it's necessary to acknowledge that. It, it's healthy. Sometimes we just need to lament. And that's not a word we use a ton in our culture, but lament is simply a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's not necessarily unique to the Christian community. Lament is a, is a natural human response to sorrow and problems. Like if we go way back in music history, not like super far back, but 100 years or so ago, you see the birth of this thing called jazz. And where jazz was first born was out of lament, out of social strife. And, and then you hear the blues come onto the scene. And blues is just a, a lament song. You, you find it's modern day uh, descendant with rap and hip hop. You listen to the music of the inner city. And, and what you find is this, this suffering and this sorrow and this anguish and this hurt and this anger and this pain at, at life that seems helpless and hopeless and things out of control and injustice beyond what they know what to do with. And some of y'all, you're like, oh, that's not my style. Like, you're a country music person. Listen, like, nine out of every ten country songs is lament. The dog has died, the truck won't start, the woman left, and the beer spilled. Like, that's lament at its worst right there. It's like, oh, you know. Like, you get lament. We see this in our culture. But for the Christian, we lament differently. We, we don't just cry out to the wind. We don't just, just express our hurt to other people. We, we cry out to God. And that's necessary. That's good. You know, lament is peppered all the way throughout Scripture. Like from Genesis through Revelation, there's, there's lament again and again and again. Nearly every major player in Scripture came face to face with pain at some point and, and shared this lamenting. One third of the Psalms, the, the ancient prayer book and psalm book, the song book for the early church, there's this this book of prayer and praise, one out of every three of them is a lament psalm. Like this one, Psalm 13. And listen to the heart and the hurt of the psalmist. 
Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I'll die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And then the psalmist turns. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. The psalmist lands there. He lands back on praise. But sometimes it's hard to say that, isn't it? And we just sing that out. God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good to me. Some of you are faking it. It doesn't always feel like we can say that. It doesn't always feel like we could say, God, you've been so good. Because sometimes the question is really, God, where are you? It doesn't always feel like he's there. We see nearly every major player in the Bible lament, even Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, he's, he's praying to God the Father, lamenting in the soul. He cries out, Abba, which means Daddy, Daddy, Father, all things are possible to you. So please take this cup of suffering away from me if it's your will. When he's on the cross, Jesus claims the words of Psalm 22 for his own. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And sometimes it just feels that way. Sometimes we just feel abandoned, alone, stuck, hurt. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like lament is peppered all the way through scripture. But in contemporary Christian history, we have lost sight of lament. We don't lament well. And we don't lament often. And so church, I just, up front, I just want to encourage you today to reclaim this sacred discipline, this, this spiritual habit of lament. To, to recapture it for yourself and, and to lament often, weekly even. To get into a spiritual practice of lament and repent. Lament and repent. Because we've lost sight of it. And, and, and losing sight of it, we've, we've become spiritually malnourished. We've become spiritually malformed. That There's this pressure on all of us to just move through the pain. The pressure is to wear a mask and smile and be like, things are good with Jesus, because that's what we're supposed to say. Like we've been given this warped sense of Christianity that if you have Jesus in your life, it's all gonna be good all the time. Like you just pray away the pain. You just praise away the sorrow. You just, just choose joy and you'll be fine. And, and then life is good. And, and if you got Jesus, and then, then it's all good. And if not, well, then you're missing something in your spiritual life. And, and we've got this warped sense of what life with God is supposed to be like. And we, we have this absence of the reality of what God said, that, that, that the rain is going to fall. He's talking about sorrow. He's talking about pain. He's talking about the problems of life. He says it falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus himself said, listen, the world hates me and it's going to hate you too. Sorrow is going to come your way. Pain happens. So you can choose joy in it, but that doesn't remove the sorrow from us. 
There's just this, this challenge for us. And so there's this pressure to, to smile it all the way and to acknowledge, like, or not to acknowledge that there's any doubt or any frustration or any curiosity or any fear or any anxiety or anything wrong. And we end up with this thin veneer, this fake strength that's really powerless to help us when the days of sorrow and trouble come. It's not helpful and it's not healthy. And, and, and we end up without a category to really deal with those problems. And, and so without that category to deal with the problems of life, then we just end up with this, this whole thing of like, you know, when it feels like, like we know God is here, right? Like we know God, you are present and God, you are powerful. And, and I know how the story ends and I know that you're up to something good. But sometimes I just don't feel it. Sometimes I just can't experience it. Sometimes I know it, but it's hard to know it. And if I don't have a category for that, then, then what do I do with that? And, and here's the beauty of lament is lament gives us a place to go. Lament turns us to God when our sorrow or our sin would tempt us to run the other way. Lament turns us to God, not away from him. And, and it feels weird, right? But church, we need to learn to lament. And we need to practice it often. We need to lament of the problems in our world, the brokenness that's replete in our world. Global poverty and, and injustice, homelessness and hopelessness, of sickness and pandemics and all the pain that comes from it. We need to lament in our own lives over the, the sin that still creeps in. We need to lament on those times where we betray God yet again. We need to lament the sickness, physical, spiritual sickness. We need to lament the social ills of injustice and problems. We need to lament that drugs are taking over in places and too many people are turning to porn as the new drug. And those things infiltrate the church. We need to lament. We need to lament in our own lives the pain that's come at us. We need to lament after a divorce when the person closest to us feels like they've abandoned us. And for some of you, maybe that was a long time ago. And for some of you, maybe you're in the throes of that right now. For some of you, that was, that was your trusted other. For some of you, that was your parents. And there's pain that comes with that. And we need to lament when friends at church leave and friendships prove fickle, we need to lament when we deal with depression and anxiety. And, and church, we need to lament and repent of the way that we have handled that. Like somebody breaks their arm and we say, well, you need to go to the doctor to get that fixed. But they, they have depression or they have anxiety or have something that's going on mentally. And we say, well, you just, you just need to pray your way out of that. You, you, just, you just need to choose joy. Just choose Jesus and you'll be good. And... and it doesn't always work. I like telling the depressed person to just be happy is like telling the short person, just grow a couple inches. Well, if I could, <laughs> like, it just doesn't work that way. And sometimes we've, we've taken a, a physiological, psychological problem and just turned it all spiritual. Not to say there's not a spiritual dimension to it, but we've got to be really careful with that. And listen, as we, as we dig into that and, and as we lament the abuse in our lives, abuse that is come to us, the things, you know, physical or emotional or sexual abuse, 
scars on the soul from a long time ago or maybe not that long ago at all. And listen, if you're still in that, get help. And some of that done to you, some you need to lament over the things that you've done to wound others. And as we dig into that, sometimes that stuff's really, really heavy. Like too heavy for us to, to wrestle through on our own. So you need help. Reach out to your church. Reach out to, to those of us on staff. We're here to help you. And listen, if, if you need more than what we are capable and qualified to provide, we will connect you to some of our trusted ministry partners, professionals who can help you navigate those hurts and those wounds to help you find healing and wholeness and freedom. We just need to lament. We need to learn how to lament. We need to lament over the tragedies and the job losses and the job changes and lament over the addiction and and all the mess that addiction brings in our own lives and the lives of those close to us that impact us. We we need to lament over over death and aging and all that stuff. We need to lament over injustice and being scapegoats for injustice and all the nastiness in this world and all the nastiness in us. And we just need to acknowledge that there's pain and there's brokenness and the world is not quite how God intended it to be at the beginning. Church, we need to learn how to lament. Now, lament doesn't always feel right. In fact, I think this is why we, we don't do it well. It, it just seems like there's something broken in my faith if I say, God, where are you? God, I have doubts, I have fears, I have anger. I have, like, it feels like I'm not right spiritually if I cry out that way. But here's the deal. To lament is not just crying to the wind or crying to the other person. It's crying to God. And so if we do that, if we practice that, if we practice lament in a biblical way, it's not an absence of faith. It's actually a demonstration of faith. It's an act of faith because we cry out to God saying, God, I'm not right and things aren't right and I don't sense you here and I need you. So we're crying out to him. It's a demonstration of faith. Now some of you, this is hard because there's so much pain in your woundedness. You've been hurt by other people and, and, and those wounds like create this natural human visceral response of, of retaliation that you want to return hurt for hurt and wound for wound and harm for harm and hate for hate. But you know that's not the right way to do it. You know that you can't just walk up to somebody like, you hurt me. Oh, now I feel good. Like It just doesn't work that way. Like We can't do that. But you know, right, yeah, some of you are like, oh, man, I wish. Um, but, you know, like, man, we just, we feel this like there's got to be something different. And lament, one of the beautiful things about it is it gives us, it gives us a constructive way to deal with the wound. That we bring to God all of our rawness, and we just come uncensored to him, and we share it. And, and because if we don't do it there, then it's just going to rear its, its nasty head in some terribly destructive way at some other time. Now, every lament in Scripture, save for one that I can think of, turns back to praise. It remembers who God is. It remembers that God does hear us, that God does know our pain, that God himself suffered for us and he enters into our suffering with us. But the problem is sometimes we try to rush to praise. Sometimes we try to get to praise too soon. And that sounds crazy coming from the preacher. Like, hold off on your praise. Like, when was the last time the preacher of the church said, don't praise God yet? <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. But in the Psalms, what we see is the psalmist waits to get there. The, the psalmist takes his time. And he has to deal with all the pain and all the sorrow, all the frustration and anger. He, he has to deal with all that, let it all out before he gets to praise. Because it's kind of like we got to go through death before we enter into resurrection. we got to go through 
the hurt before we find the healing. If you're wired up like me, your, your tendency is probably to try and like get around the pain or just go as fast as you can through it. Or to even pretend that you don't have pain, you deal with somebody else's pain because you feel like a helper. Or I, I can help you with your pain that I don't have to deal with my own. And none of that's healthy. Sometimes we just need to sit in the sorrow. Now don't deny it. Don't try to like hyperspeed through it. Don't try to circumvent it and get around it. Just sit in the sorrow. And if you're one of those people who's so well-intentioned that when you see other people hurting, all you want to do is bring them joy. You just want to help them smile. You want to help them laugh. And your intentions are so good, but initially that's probably not what they need. They might not need you to make them laugh or smile. They might just need you to sit in silence with them, to just sit in the sorrow, maybe to shed a tear by their side. There's this thing in our culture called uh, toxic positivity. Just cheer up. Just cheer up. Just smile. Just smile it all away. It's one of the most toxic things we can do because we'll miss it. We'll miss what God is up to in the midst of the sorrow. But while you're there, while you're there in the pain, while you're there with a friend in the pain or in your own, while you're there, remember that God is there with you even if you can't feel it, even if you don't see it, even if you're not sure what he's up to, he is there. Remember the long arc of God's plan, that God created you out of love and with a purpose. And our sin has distorted all that and we're fallen from that. But even still, God is in the business of restoring and redeeming all of his creation. And that includes you. Remember what God is up to. But sometimes restoration takes time. I love this passage from Lamentations. Seems like an appropriate book of the Bible to turn to today. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Anyone who's ever experienced that painful time in life knows, man, you just don't forget those moments. Yet I still dare to hope. Everybody say dare to hope. Yeah, we dare to hope. Isn't that an awesome phrase? Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. And this is what the author remembers. When I remember the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin new every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly. Everybody say, wait quietly. It's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Sometimes restoration takes time, and we just got to sit in the sorrow and allow God to do his thing while we're there to transform us and heal us. Don't move too quickly. You try to take off the cast too soon, the arm stays broken and looks really weird. You just got to let it heal. Listen, friends, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is not defined by like getting over all your wounds, finally getting past that stuff that trips you up. Spiritual maturity and growth is not defined by like better behavior. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity doesn't come from fixing all the problems. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity comes from turning to God, even in the midst of all the pain and the problems. That's where it comes. Now, unfortunately, some of you, you've, you've been sold a lie. You've been sold a lie that, that your 
that says that your pain and your problems, all the evil things done to you, all the evil things that you've done to others, the things you regret, the things that cause you this deep remorse, that all the things of your past and all the things that continue to linger into the present, that all of those things determine your value. You've bought this lie that if you really matter to God, you wouldn't be so screwed up. You wouldn't have all the pain. You wouldn't have gone through all that stuff. You, you wouldn't, like those people would not have done those things to you. You've bought this lie that, that your value is determined by what other people think of you, what they say to you, what they say of you, what they've done to you. And you've had some really nasty people who've affirmed that lie. So I just want to take us back to the beginning of this series where we began to remind you of the truth of your value. That if you've put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus as Lord and as Savior, then your value is determined by what he says of you. That you are his beloved. That you matter to him. That, that your value is determined by the fact that you have a Savior who loves you and died for you, gave his life for you. Listen, I brought with me today a $100 bill. Friends, how much is this worth? Uh, that's the easiest question I'm ever going to ask you. $100 bill, how much is it worth? 100 bucks, right? 100 bucks. You got 100 bucks. What if I yell at it? You're worthless. I hate you. You're no good. You screwed up again. What's wrong with you? How much is it worth? What if I spit on it? How much is it worth? What if I creakle it up? How much is it worth? If I throw it on the floor, I stomp on it, I kick it, and I beat it up some. How much is it worth? What if I toss it to the side and I neglect it? I say, I don't care. Get out of my life. How much is it worth? Y'all see where we're going with this, right? No matter what they've said to you, no matter what they did to you, no matter the pain they inflicted on you, that does not define your value. Your value is bound up in Jesus and what you mean to him. So church, you got to hear this. You hear nothing else. You got to know that you matter to God. And that doesn't say enough of the story. You matter to us too. You matter to me. Whatever hurt, whatever harm has come your way, you matter to God. And God did not intend any of that to happen, but he'll redeem it all if you'll let him. And those things do not determine who you are. So your wound, it no longer defines you. Your mistakes, they no longer define you. All those problems and the pain of your past, it's good, it's right, it's necessary and healthy to lament them, but they do not define you. That does not describe the whole of who you are. So church, we got to stop living defeated. Like we get this idea that, that it, I'm going to pick this up or it's going to be a really expensive sermon. Are we going to stop living this defeated life that says, man, my, my victory comes if I get over my, my you, just whatever, right? If I get over my hurt, if I get over that problem, if I get over my sin, if I, if I can just behave my way out of this thing, if, if I just believe, right? I, I know I'm depressed, but if I think the right thing, oh, I'm anxious or I'm, I'm insecure. If I just think the right things, then that's where my victory is found. But the problem is then when we don't, then we like, we think we're defeated and we just keep living defeated. Or if, if we put our stock in what other people have said to us and about us, then, then we live defeated unless it's good. Like, I mean, you look at social media, like if all things are, are good on your feed, then okay, I'm good. But what we do is we compare our blooper reel to their highlight reel and we just do the comparison thing and we think we're defeated and we just don't measure up. And there's this lie from the enemy who just wants to come in and tell us that everything depends on who we are. You know, it all depends on what we've done and all this stuff and that we really uh, don't live in the victory of Jesus. And, and, and we've screwed up too much. And you know, when the enemy comes and he starts whispering the lies to you, you just tell him where to go and how to get there. It's tell the enemy, you just tell the demons, hell, just go back to hell where you belong. 
Because you have no power over me. I'm, I'm in Christ. Like if you put your hope, you put your, your trust in Jesus, then you tell the enemy where to go. And, and friend, there's this thing that, that happens. The enemy just wants you to keep whispering to you. Just tell you, well, nobody sins like you. Nobody screwed up like you. Nobody thinks the messed up things you think. Nobody it hurts the way you do. Nobody has had that kind of pain. They can't understand your pain. They can't understand your sin. Because nobody, man, when they're driving down the standard, they're not thinking those things, the other cars. When, when, when they're, you know, upset at their spouse, they're not thinking that. When, when they're looking at things, they're not sinning that way. They're not, you know, giving a mind towards sin. And all that's a lie. But we get convinced that we have this unique, that it's like we're so different than everybody else, so we can't deal with it because nobody's going to understand. They'll think we're, we got way too much baggage, we got way too much sin. And, and this thing is called terminal uniqueness. Now listen, you are unique, fully unique in who God created you to be. But the junk in your life, you have your unique story, but it's not just so unique to you. But you know why we call this Terminal. Because if you believe all that stuff, you believe that nobody else hurts and, and is messed up the way you are, then, then that's going to kill you. That, that's going to kill your faith. That's going to kill your joy. It's going to kill your hope. It's going to keep you from getting real, which is going to keep you from getting help, which is going to keep you from getting healed, which is going to keep you from getting free. And church, I, I, want, I want you to hear what, what the scriptures say about what Paul writing to the church of Corinth said. He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And that's a good word for some of you who don't think you need this message today. Hold on to it. Keep it in your back pocket. A day will come. But he says, the temptations in your life. Temptation. That's not just the temptation to sin. That's the temptation to think less of you than God thinks of you. The temptation to think that you're beyond his help or beyond his healing. The temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. What? You mean other people go through this drunk too? They think we're more, yep, they do. And God is faithful. He's so faithful, he's not gonna allow those temptations to be more than you can stand. So when you're tempted, he's gonna show you the way out so that you can endure it. And when that happens, he's gonna show you how to get free. And that way out is Jesus and his church. So you lean on that. See, sometimes we get, we get thinking that our victory is all bound up in how good or how bad we are and how free from our wounds we are, if we've been able to overcome them or not. I used to think that way. It's destructive. So let me just share with you the truth of Scripture. For you got one season of defeat and you got one season of victory. Season of defeat is all of life before you surrender to Jesus. And victory is the remainder of your eternity with him. That's it. Your victory is not bound up in how good or how bad you are. And what you do or don't do, what you say or not say, what you think or not think. Your victory is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Your victory is found in a God who existed infinitely who created this world marvelously and then entered into it incarnately. And and that God then lived sinlessly and he loved passionately and he healed mercifully. And then he was crucified willingly and buried sorrowfully. But then he raised victoriously and he ascended triumphantly and he reigns eternally and he's coming back momentarily. And if your hope and your trust is in him, church, then that is your victory. And you gotta land on that. Because the cross of Christ should have the last and the lasting and the definitive word in your life for who you are. Because your value is determined and your victory is determined only 
by the cross of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our victory. That is our value. And it comes through Jesus. Yeah, I get a little worked up. Sorry. So church, here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you go home today, I want you to take 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. I want you to write your lament. And some of you say, man, I got stuff going on. I got food and football and others. Listen, there's nothing you got going on in life today where you can't carve out some time and get real with God. And you get it all out. You just write it out. Man, nobody else has to see this between you and God. And you get out the pain, you get out the frustration, you get out the hurt, you get out the anger, you get out the sorrow. And then you invite God to meet you there. You, you eventually turn it back to praise and say, God, even though I don't feel you in this stuff, I know you're here and I know you want to meet me here. And then you invite God into the deepest, darkest recesses of your life. The parts that you've kept locked and closed off. The parts that are most in need of transformation. And you invite him to meet you there. And here's what you'll find. He's already there. He's already there. He's been there. He's waiting for you to meet him there. And he longs to heal you and set you free from that. And so you meet him there. And when you do that, I want you to picture God looking upon you. Just imagine God looking down on you. A loving father, a benevolent, good, kind God with all compassion looking upon you. Now friend, when you leave here today, we've got something for you to take with you. It's a little wristband. Just simply says, you matter. And maybe you're not a wristband person. I'll take it anyway. Put it on your coffee mug. Put it on your water bottle. Put it wherever but but you hold on to this to keep this in a prominent place when you see that remind yourself that you matter to god and you matter to us and when you're in the throes of sorrow or in the throes of lament just allow god to do what he's doing and remember that you matter to him even in that moment and we want you to take an extra one too because we all know somebody we all know somebody else who's going through the pain and, and you give it to them you give it to your friend, your family, your coworker, whoever. You give it to him and you let him know, hey, you, you matter to God and you matter to me. And, and maybe you say a prayer for him. Maybe you say a prayer with him. Maybe you pray over them. Or maybe you just sit with them in the sorrow and you let them know they matter. Now, church, in this moment, we want to take just a few minutes and we want to turn our gaze to heaven in a time of communal lament. And I've invited my friend and one of our elders, Dr. Dennis Kaufman, to join me up here. He's going to lead us in this time of prayerful lament. Let's bow together. Lord, we're so grateful that you are God that doesn't require us to pretend. We know that you are intimately familiar with suffering, with weeping, with grief. And knowing that helps us come out of hiding to remove whatever state-of-the-art fig leaves we've put together to stand before you in our own sadness that we face in this dark world. Lord, our world feels so very fragile right now. Whether it's the threat of COVID or of cancer 
or of violence or just the, the challenge of watching someone who's aging wonder about how long they'll be independent. Lord, there's so many things that are on our minds. You know uh, what eats at us today. We're thankful that you meet us there. Reminded of the words of Jeremiah when he wrote about suffering. And he said, were it not for your great love, Lord, we would be consumed. I'm grateful we have many in this room today who could testify of the fact that you have carried us, that you have borne us through all kinds of suffering, such pain. We're grateful for that awareness. We're grateful for that hope. And Lord, we we know that even as your children, we're such a handful. Continue to help us as we grow, as we strive to serve you well. And we pray for that opportunity to testify that you've carried us. For those that we run into who are suffering, we pray that we might be a voice of hope that leads them to you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.